Welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is News Editor Tool and Key Contributor Chesto. Hello. This week, we're looking at the fiery phoenix rising from the ashes of Holden's funeral pyre, GMSV. Which products should they bring here? So we're going to have that discussion, which will be fun. Um, look at some fresh metal in the Cars Guide garage, and we'll catch up with the tech billionaire who wants to plug into your brain in this week's Musk Watch. So stay with us. But we've had some feedback, and I think it's worth covering because all of it's great. Now, last week, we were dealing with a story that uh, Byron Matthew Darkus wrote about the cars that might have been for Holden, particularly around the time of the development of the VE in the noughties and all the other variants on that platform that were looking to be exported and and, uh, used kind of around the GM world. Uh, And we had a lot of feedback on that. It really plucked some heartstrings. Uh, Jim Danik uh, sees the GFC as the first nail in the Holden coffin, you know, that GM's bankruptcy meant that um, there were closure of GM brands that were the main, probably going to be the main recipients um, of these cars, Pontiac being a a big one, of course, um, with the G8. Uh, He he did think that the G8 seemed to fit the US market better than the later uh, Chevy SS. Um, And Birdie said, you know, an export market made no difference uh, to brand survival. And Jim Danik came back and said, you know, the brand survived the closure of manufacturing for a few years. It was the product that came next, which was the downfall. And yeah. to that, I would add, it was also the brand's USP vanishing. You know, when, when they had uh, no local manufacturing, it was no longer really Australia's own Holden. No. You know, all, all that went out the window and the soul of the brand just kind of dropped out of it. Mate, the cars uh, had to sell on the quality of the cars alone. And, and frankly, the quality just wasn't there. I, as I've said before, I, towards the end, I couldn't think of a single category in which they were best in class. Yeah. Yes, that's a great point. And, and other commenters were, were on about quality as well. That's a very strong point. Um, so we also had uh, Bertie came back and called it GM's proud tradition, uh, proud tradition of brand genocide. And he said the crap teva, his word, not mine, um, was symbolic rubbish uh, that Holden sold in its wobbly at the knees later years. Um, you know, on the one hand, you had the billion-dollar baby, which, of course, was the VE and such an enormous investment. And then you had all of these other models sold around it. And he calls it a tale of two Holdens um, in this century, that, that you had the core of it being the locally produced product and everything else around it being uh, different, shall we say. Um, yep. So I think that's an interesting point of view. And 88 MTB 88 on the same theme, Holden never got their other models right. And, that's right. And... That's true. And they may have been constrained on budget, on what was available, all kinds of things. That GFC blew a big hole in all kinds of strategic plans for car brands yeah. um, around the globe, you know. Absolutely. Um, JC, on that for a moment, mate, I, I feel like we're about to go through that again in Australia just quietly. I, I feel like on the, on the other end of this pandemic, our 50 or 60 car brands, they all can't survive it surely in this country. If you look at the sales, God, some of the brands are selling in minuscule numbers. You wonder how it's possibly worth their while. But anyway, we'll see. Yes, it, dep- it, d- it depends on how deep certain pockets are um, and how genuinely long-term um, some brands' uh, vision is. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. You're absolutely right. Now, uh, the aptly named HSV Commodore um, said, you know, man, this makes me so sad. And he just uh, The whole chat made him feel sad. 
all these amazing cars that could have been. Um, GM ruined so many car companies, uh, should have sold Holden, Pontiac and Saab. Well, in the end, they did actually sell Saab um, to Spiker, which was another disaster altogether uh, in yeah. terms of the sad end of that proud Swedish brand. Um, and Holden, he says the, the really salient point, I thought, was when he said Holden had the potential to become a global brand. Um, yep. That yeah, there were some little forays into export in the Middle East, and of course New Zealand and other countries in the the Pacific and and the Southern Hemisphere. But you think about the design and engineering um, enthusiasm, um, experience, and quality that Holden had. I, I think he's right. Um, yep. Holden could have gone anywhere with the right investment. Yep. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. There's always been that argument that our production costs are too high to be a true export brand, but then. You look at company, countries like Korea, countries like Germany, their costs are, are, are vaguely the same as ours. In fact, in some cases, a little bit higher. And they make yep. it work. So there's no, there's no discernible reason why we possibly could not. Yeah, yeah, great point. Now, um, John Gibson, obviously heir to the guitar fortune, I think we've called him out, uh, called him out before, um, says, as good as the VE and VF was, uh, they were the wrong cars for the time. And this is very much the conventional wisdom, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, after about 2005, they should have been getting the idea of an SUV um, and twin cab utes um, rather than um, and, and build them in-house with Holden's unique flavour. And I think Byron's story pointed to that. That's exactly what they wanted to do. Um, yeah. It's just that events conspired to, to nip all that in the bud and it didn't happen. So there was, yeah. there were, the will was there, but there just wasn't a way. Um, given yep. the finances of the time. It's also um, very easy to look back in retrospect and say they should have done this or they should have done that, you know. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm sure at the time, if they did come out with a Commodore SUV or something of the like, there would have been huge backlash over it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, that's true. Uh, can, can Marco, I make, can I, oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Just, just, to, just to make one quick point on that idea of what, what, they, what they should have done or could have done, I, I maintain the biggest mistake they made in shuttering the brand in Australia was, was keeping the Commodore nameplate alive. Right. Uh, right. Even, though that, even though that car was actually a really good car that the Commodore they imported, it wasn't a Commodore as we've come to know and love it. And while Ford immediately moved off the Falcon and became the Ranger company, Holden remained that company that was trying yes. to sell this thing that sort of was, sort of wasn't a Commodore. And it just completely owned the message around that brand for the years that followed. One tiny change I would have made would have been that one. I would have said, you know what, so the interesting. served us well. See you later. I think it's to your point, Tung, that, um, you know, it's glorious hindsight, isn't it? That mm. I, I hear exactly what you're saying, Chester, but I remember at the time thinking, uh, that could go either way. I was kind of yeah. on the fence. Um, yeah. not, not sure whether it was good or a bad one, but as it transpired, yes, it definitely wasn't a great decision. Mate, I, th I think they'll study it in university. If they're not already, they should. Track, track the forward and hold them from factory closure and the, yeah. the things they did differently and look at where the two brands are now, you know. There's well, you know, the, the, the third player, of course, at that point was Toyota. And the irony was that not many people even knew that Toyota built yeah. cars here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and right. they were doing... They were doing their absolute best to, to turn out the best Camrys that they'd ever produced and really send it out on a high note. Yep. Ford had their plant at idle, you know. They might a, a couple of cars seemed to dribble out of the factory um, every few days. Um, yep. Holden was somewhere in between. But I think retiring the Falcon nameplate was a more dignified end for that yep. um, storied career than, yes, keeping Commodore going. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, also, Hammer Rock says... Uh, shh, guys, because um, M4 and Byron last week 
were mentioning that, you know, some of the cars that were potentially uh, going to happen was a VE crewman or a VE adventurer, you know, to, to yeah. and so Hammers said sh- he's been eyeing the Holden adventurer CX-8 and crewman Cross-8 and the HSV Avalanche. Uh, he's not ready to buy yet, so just shh. And, <laughs> um, and De, Kulk, De Kulk came in and said he's actually drooling for a W1 Malou, um, yeah. which, which would be big, big bucks. But he's waiting for his midlife crisis anyway um, until that kicks in. So there's a while to go. You never know where the prices will go. Then, look, in, in more general terms, uh, we had Sam Giles saying, gentlemen, this is a fantastic video. Keep up the terrific work. So what well, can we go. say right. except thank you. thank you, Sam, and uh, welcome aboard. But we weren't doing so well because Summer Winters, great name, said seven minutes, 40 seconds before you two blokes let Byron talk. <laughs> <laughs> so that was yeah. um yeah that was matt campbell and i so sorry about that yeah. and feedback received uh, right between the eyes so we'll think about being a little more generous in uh, freeing up time yeah. um jim danick we were also touching on what what did you get your license in you know we we're talking about old holdens and what have you and i'll ask you two guys in a sec but jim danick said i got my license on a tc holden gemini and my question is, was it a sandpiper? Because, of course, the sandpiper was a limited edition. We'll have a picture of that for people on YouTube. What a fantastic car. And he also said, has Byron lost his glasses or is it Stockholm Syndrome, given his three weeks in lockdown with the <laughs> Sanyon Caranda? Because he said he was starting to like the way it looked and he was loving the car. And De Kulk said, yeah, I agree. I thought we were thinking of two different cars here. <laughs> so The problem is... Um, I think Byron left his glasses outside the 5K radius, so he hasn't had them for the last three or four weeks. <laughs> Everything's starting right. to look blurry. And uh, that's right. That's right. Right, so Jim Danik, he got his licence on a Gemini. Tung, what was your uh, vehicle of choice for trying Ooh. to uh, you know, get the inspector to give you the green light? Yeah, it was the family, uh, the family sedan at the time, so it was a 1997 uh, Toyota Camry manual, five-speed, uh, four-cylinder, uh, just a real sort of dependable A to B sort of car. Real easy to learn. Yeah. Real easy did to you park. Score, did you score points with the inspector for the manual gearbox? Uh, uh, no, no, not at all. No. Oh, no, really? <laughs> I would have thought that would get you some cred. No, no cred at all. I mean, I think if it was, uh, if it was a cooler sort of car, then maybe uh, he would have noticed. But, uh, you know, not, not the old reliable Camry. <laughs> Jesto, awesome. what, was your, what was your conveyance? Less exciting. I uh, I was so desperate to get my license that I got it on my 17th birthday. Un- unfortunately, I was, I'm born in January. We're on summer holidays in Queensland. So I made my yep. parents drive me back across the border to the closest New South Wales RTA, as they were called then, which was in Tweed Heads on the New South Wales side. And I did it in whatever car they had available. So I had to rent a car from them. And you could just go and do it in a, a manual test with an instructor next to you. Because waiting for me at home was my donking Datsun 260Z 1976. Wow, was brilliant. Desperate to get behind the wheel of it. So, mate, there was nothing Nothing was going to stop me. I was going back with the licence. So, But I can't even remember what car it was, to be honest, whatever they had available on the day. But your first licensed kilometres were probably covered in a 260Z. 260Z Datsun, yeah. That is a yep. great way to kick it off. It was, it was a bright red number plate, red 26Z, and I was the coolest man alive <laughs> up, up until the point that I wrote it off. But it was a great <laughs> Don't tell me you bought that license plate. 
No, 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 came with it. It came with it. But oh, mate, thank I, I, goodness I, I would that. be lying if I didn't say it. It, it hadn't sweetened the pot a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Now, Paul Victor says an M8 BMW is his hero car, the best BMW, best looking BMW ever. Um, as a BMW fan, unfortunately, at that price range and the lack of proper rear uh, seat occupant space, I'll opt for a 911 hands down. So he's in a pretty happy situation here. If yeah, he's yeah. Um, turning down the, the M8 and he's going to go out and get a 911 uh, in the fullness of time. Now, David Burt, Bertie, came back in and asked, where's that water crossing located? Now, we were, we were talking about um, the D-Max and there was a, a picture during that that came up. I can tell you, Bertie, that is the Clyde River on the New South Wales south coast near the appropriately named shallow crossing camping ground so if you're wanting to go there and uh, replicate our shots because they were very nice it is a it is actually fording that that little stream uh it was that's where it is now he also said that byron was talking about his vh commodore last week and had 2850 six-cylinder engine four-speed manual um very nice car and he says the vh 2850 features the air injection 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 and he, he references the TV commercial, and people on YouTube, yeah. it'll be up in the background. And that's actually what they say. It is the corniest 1980s advertising <laughs> uh, you can imagine. And Where he said those four speeds weren't a knife through butter affair, but were more a sponge in porridge, a terrible <laughs> shift. And he's absolutely right, uh, as I've experienced that. And I found it more brutal. I thought it was more, you just got to kind of gorilla it through into, into each ratio. But um, anyway... I like uh, that. A sponge, a sponge through. A sponge through what? A sponge through. No, he said it's more a spoon in porridge. A spoon in porridge. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Stirring it. You're stirring the so, porridge, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. um, Now, TGV said we, we wondered why TGV, the very fast train, had mentioned the mighty AU Falcon. He just randomly come at us with this the AU Falcon is the greatest. He said it's because a couple of weeks ago he purchased a very low kilometre. 80,000-odd clicks, 2001 AU Futura Series 2 e-gas sedan. Um, oh. So lucky man. He loves yeah. the low-down torque and rear-wheel drive. He's had front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive cars uh, forever, and he loves the real feel of hydraulic um, steering. And he asked the question, why, oh, why have car makers gone to awful electric, dumb and numb steering, uh, to which Wax333 comes and says, cost, weight, Space yeah. saving and probably more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was a pretty good comeback. Yeah, and if sure you've ever, that. if you've driven a, a recent 911, uh, you'll you'll actually discover how good electrically assisted steering can be. Um, yeah. So there is electric steering and electric steering um, in in my book. Yeah. Um, and to finish that off, Gulam Dustgear has given us another 18 thumbs up. So the tally, oh. yeah, I like to call it the DTUT, the Dustgear thumbs up tally. Um, is now at, lucky for some, the number 69. So uh, we have had 69 <laughs> thumbs up from, uh, from Ghulam. Thank you very much. But we're now going to move on to our main topic of conversation, which is a yes. really exciting and interesting one. We've had confirmation, and Chester, you wrote the story for us, that this General Motors SV, GMSV, um, is, is a real thing and it's happening. And you wrote the piece about, well, here are the, the cars that really should be on the menu for yes. Australia. And it's great fodder for a conversation about what should come here. Tell us where you went with it. 
Well, annoyingly, I'm going to do uh, my famous thing and take us down a little side alley first. So just, just while we're speaking about briefly about cars that could have saved Holden, I wrote a story last week about, about the Colorado that could have potentially saved Holden. So for me, yeah. the biggest issue with the Colorado was that it, the Ford Ranger Raptor had it licked. That was the cool car that everybody wanted, of course. And then the Toyota Hilux was the perennial favorite. Colorado just finished somewhere at the back of the pack. No one ever thought about it. Now, just after Holden closed, Walkinshaw, i.e. HSV, or the former HSV, have released a pack called the W550 pack. It applies to all Colorados built between 2018 and 2020. It ups the suspension, some other off-road crap, et cetera. But critically, it also ups the grunt from the engine. So you now get 550 newton metres of torque or 50 newton metres more than you would get in a Ranger Raptor. And as I said, it back applies to all Colorados from 2018 onwards. All I could think when I was writing that story was why, oh, why didn't Holden launch this when it was yeah. running, selling Colorados? It would have had the dominant, most powerful four-cylinder diesel dual cabin Australia. Why, why is this coming now? It drives yeah. me insane. Anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting car, that. An interesting pack to W550, and I think it's proven very popular on the site. I think it will prove very popular in real life. Now, on to post-HSV. So, yes, b- before we get into the cars, just to give you an idea of, of, of what's actually happening, we now know that HSV is officially dead. It will be replaced by GMSV, um, known for General Motors Specialty Vehicles, which will launch in the fourth quarter of 2020. It will focus on the Chevrolet Silverado first and then the Corvette Stingray. Left-hand drive vehicles will be converted to right-hand drive by the Walkinshaw team. Right-hand drive vehicles like the Corvette Stingray will be imported directly. And they'll be sold through a number of dealers, mostly ex-Holden and HSV dealers, um, will be converted to GMSV special vehicles dealerships and sell these new models. So all we, all we know so far is that there are going to be two cars, Chevrolet Silverado and uh, Corvette Stingray. But of course, they're not going to end with just two cars. So that got us to thinking, okay, well, let's have a look at GM's broader fleet. We know that left-hand drive is no longer a barrier. They can convert them here. So left-hand drive, right-hand drive doesn't really matter. What would we like to see in Australia? What do we think could make a difference? And so we trimmed it down to five cars. I'm going to start from the very top for you. Uh, and if you know if you know American cars, you'll know the Chevrolet Suburban. It's it is an SUV that's gone through the the Hulk treatment. It's this massive, um, uh, I mean, and I mean genuinely massive bus of a thing, 5.7 meters long, almost two meters tall, two meters wide. You can have a choice. You can have a choice of engines, which is nice, both of them V8s, 5.3-litre V8 or 6.2-litre V8, both of which pair with a 10-speed auto. It's about US 56 grand, which is roughly 90 grand based or 100 grand based on straight conversions, but you can certainly expect to pay more than that by the time the car, if the car arrives. And, and Chesto, the Suburban, the Suburban was here before with Holden badges on it, was it not? Not that I recall, was it? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 it was. For a short period of time, it was sold as a Holden. What, what era are we talking here? I don't know. I've just kind of pulled that out of my hat, but I'm pretty sure Hang it's on. right. I, yeah, we, I, I think in uh, potentially in 1998. There you go. There you go. And, my, and lordy, lordy, it's come a long way since then. Goodness gracious. We'll, <laughs> sit, we'll, we'll, we'll stick a photo of the 98 one up there because it is a horror show. But the new one... <laughs> <laughs> but the, the new the new one isn't. Uh, so and then if you get but if you're going to talk Chevrolet Suburban, you have to talk its kind of twin. And this is ironically one of the not least sporty and yet also iconic vehicles I think in the US lineup, and that is the mighty Escalade. Um, mm. So th- th- it, it's the Cadillac. If, if you're into 
uh, hip hop. It's it's what you know. It, it's 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 referenced possibly more than any other vehicle. Um, and look, well, it made it made Cadillac cool. Yeah, there you go. So it, I mean, it is a monster. It's basically the same size as a suburban, although you can have it with a three liter diesel or the six point two liter V eight. You can have it riding on these shining twenty two inch alloys. It just looks big, mean, bruising. However, it's seventy seven k, which would be <laughs> roughly. 140,000 Australian before importing it, before converting it. So if you want that bad boy, you're going to pay for it. Now, this one, I suspect I'm going to get a little bit of heat for, but the Chevrolet Camaro wasn't a runaway success in Australia. There's really no no other way to describe it. While the Mustang was selling, you know, hand over fist, the Camaro just never really, you know, captured the same audience, potentially because it was maybe a fair bit to pay for that vehicle. Enter then the Camaro 1LS, which gets the Camaro's look, you know, that tough muscle car, bumblebee kind of look, but it pairs it with a turbocharged four-cylinder petrol engine, good for 205 kilowatts and 399 newton meters. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but remember the Ford Mustang high performance is 236 and 448, so it's not too far off, uh, you know, that realm. But critically, it starts in the US at about 25,995. So you yep. could probably get one here, Forty-five thousand, convert it, sell it. I don't know. What, 000, what, maybe. what do you reckon, Tung? To me, that's a bit like zero alcohol beer. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's not quite what you want. It might look right, but uh, yeah, I, completely I, agree I, with I you on that said, one, Jason. I thought I thought I might take some heat on it. Anyway, well, let me move on. Zero alcohol beer <laughs> to, to what can only be described. That's a zero alcohol beer. This is a, this is a pint glass of bourbon whiskey. This is okay. the, GM, the GMC Canyon, which is this, the smallest truck in the, in the GMC lineup. But again, it's small by American standards. Stretches 5.3 metres. And it's kind of, because of that size, it's kind of vaguely a rival to cars like the Toyota Hilux and the Ford Ranger. It's powered by 2.8 litre diesel, pumps out 134 kilowatts and 500 newton metres. And it starts at 28 grand in the US in two-wheel right. drive. That's but more to, like it. Yeah. But look, to... You know, suffice it to say, like all Utes, it comes in about 11 billion different configurations and you can spend anywhere up to a gazillion dollars. But it starts at 28 grand in two-wheel drive. And it's a cool, tough-looking American truck and it's about the right size for our market. Finally, this is my number yep. five and, and probably the one I'm most excited about. Hummer is a brand, in Australia at least, that is uh, has always attracted plenty of scorn, hasn't it? Really, let's be honest. So, but it's coming back. We know this now under the GMC badge as an all-electric lineup. So far, they've only teased a very cool-looking truck and a very cool-looking SUV. Now, wait for the numbers. They're saying it'll it'll deliver 745 kilowatts of power, 15,592 newton meters, which may not all be applicable to the wheels to be perfectly fair uh either way it's promising it'll clip roughly 100 kilometers an hour or 96 kilometers an hour in just three seconds flat it'll also travel further than 600 kilometers between charges and is set up for 350 kilowatt fast charging it is now that Chesto, is, you said 15,000 yeah, newton meters now you've yes. got to mean 1500 I know, mate. No, I don't. I do not believe that I do. Let me just double check that number because it does seem <laughs> absolutely outrageous. Stand by. But anyway, while I'm doing that, uh, but look, it is a super, super, super cool truck. It is. It's, yeah. it's a truck. It's an SUV. It's uh, EV only. It's the future. It's still cool. 
that's the car that I probably want the most. But dear Lord, you can expect to pay for it if they can get that in Australia. I bet. And within minutes, there'll be a stretch version doing wedding receptions. Yes. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to have to. We'll have to get the engineers onto this. Uh, onto this, and if there are any out there, but they are they are claiming, and this, I mean, it's a tiny number. Fifteen thousand five hundred ninety-one point nine newton meters of torque. All right. Wow. Um, now, that, uh, now okay. that, that that's the only sort of spec detail they've released on that car to date. So uh, we'll have to wait and see exactly how they plan on producing that much that much torque. But anyway, there you go. Chung, what's your choice, or what are you going to add to that list? Where where's your mind at with what might come our way? Listen, I did a bit of digging, and uh, you know, this is a theoretical list, right? You know, yeah, we know that uh, GMSB yeah. might necessarily bring these cars in. So the one car that I did find that I found super super interesting, Cadillac CT6 V. So snap, the CT6 snap. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. So the, the CT6 is uh, Cadillac's take on that, that large sedan space. So it competes against things like Mercedes S-Class, um, you know, Audi A, A8, uh, BMW 7 Series, but the, the, the V uh, variant is their flagship performance car. And to my research, this is the only car across the GM portfolio that is powered by that uh, Blackwing V8 engine. So awesome. to develop this engine... 4.2-litre twin-turbo V8. Uh, in the CT6V, it makes uh, 410 kilowatts, 868 newton metres. 10-speed uh, automatic uh, transmission, all-wheel drive, uh, you know, in this ultra-luxe, uh, you know, big-boy luxury sedan. So They've even gone down the hand-built engine thing. Like, it's, so, got yeah. the, it's got the plaque from the person that put it together and all that bizarre. Yeah, yep. I, I hate to say this, but if, we, if the one thing we've learned from GM and Holden in Australia is that large sedans is really where they want to be. Oh, but Chesto, Chesto, hold yeah. on. I I just want one. HSV couldn't couldn't HSV. get enough product that's out right. the door. Yeah, uh, we're talking true. GMSV here. This is GMSV, this is a different kind of proposition. No, I, I think it's got legs. You know, it's what, like ninety ninety-five grand in the US. So yep. you're looking at 180, almost two hundred thousand dollars in Australia. Like, is there a market for it? Probably not, but you know, uh that's hey, the yeah, only man. car in the world with that sort of engine. So, you know, bring it here, please. <laughs> Interesting. I had I had one other, um, as as well as that one, the GMC thirty five hundred. Okay. And in fact, the Denali version, um, which is, I found yeah. out, that's the highest peak in North America. It used to be called Mount McKinley. Um, it's a 6.6-litre Duramax V8 turbo diesel. It can only tow 9.1 tonnes and <laughs> carry. It has a three-tonne <laughs> three payload. The thing is awesome. Even if you just brought one in and converted it, there'd be someone ready to buy it. For, yeah. for the right number. We'll have a picture of it up there for people on YouTube. I would love to see that um, in Australia. It is a, an environmentalist nightmare, I would say, uh, because it would chew through the dinosaur, dinosaur juice like uh, nothing else. Can I just point out one utterly painful thing at the moment? Imagine if we were having this conversation back when the Australian dollar bought a dollar ten US. Yeah, all of these things would be so much more accessible. Now it's yeah. uh, it, it basically it seems to be stuck hovering around a dollar fifty. It's a dollar forty at the moment, but yes. yeah, that uh, that hurts the conversion ever so slightly, doesn't it? It does. It does. So what we'd love to hear is our viewers and our listeners telling us what they'd like to see. 
whether we've uh, come close or whether there's something we've missed. What, what is it that you'd like to see coming to Australia via GMSV? But for now, we'll move into a different garage. It's our one. And we'll start with you, Tung, in terms of what you've been driving. And for, for international uh, viewers and listeners, we should mention that Victoria has been uh, subject to a pretty tight lockdown for coronavirus uh, because of some blips here and there. What do you call them? Um, spot fires uh, of coronavirus around the place. Hot, hot, but hot spots, you, I think they call them. Hot spots. You have a Toyota of a certain stripe. Tung, tell us about it. I do, I do. I've been in a Toyota CHR hybrid uh, you know, for, for a couple of weeks now. Uh, you know, obviously not doing a whole lot of driving uh, given that we're in stage four lockdown and I can only really go to the shops and go out to exercise. But um, what surprised me most about that car is actually the efficiency. You know, obviously uh, okay. the hybrid CHR, uh, 1.8 litre petrol engine paired with an electric motor, uh, driving just the front wheels. But um, for a small SUV, you know, I'm averaging about five litres per 100 kilometres. Wow, that's good. Of one one of the better uh, numbers that I've gotten in recent memory. Yep. Um, so, you know, it offers the the practicality of an SUV, albeit with some compromised rear seats and a smaller boot. Oh. So. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it, it looks good. It's, it's stylish. It's got the equipment and the gear that you want in it. And it's got an engine that, you know, it's got really good fuel economy. So, Chesto, Chesto, you were balking at the thought of compromised <laughs> rear seats. Would you like to uh, elaborate a bit on that? Mate, I, so two things I'd say about that car. One, I, I think engineering is fantastic. It drives really well. It, it, it's crying out for a more powerful engine, but the dynamics are actually really good in that vehicle. I think it might have debuted the TNGA platform in Australia, if I'm not mistaken, but I might be right. happy to be corrected Prius on that. Oh, Prius did. Okay. So then, but the compromised rear seats, my God, you couldn't put anyone you like back there. Yeah. The des- yeah. That is the most poorly designed rear door of recent memory, where the, the window is about that big, sits at the very top. <laughs> And so the body of the door is, is sort of above head height. You, you turn to your right, all you can see is door. You can't see out any windows. It's horrendous. Right. Right. It's horrendous. Plus, if you have kids, and I don't, but I've been reliably informed, they can't reach those those uh, high door handles on the rear door either. So as a sort of small family vehicle, I think it's surprisingly flawed for a Toyota. Okay. So as, as a small car, fl- as a young couple family, uh, as a young yeah. couple, like, you know, perfectly fine. But you're absolutely exactly. right. That, that that design element of having the uh, the rear door handles hidden in the C pillar, and it's so highly positioned, and it's in such an awkward way that it actually makes it harder for you to open the door because all the weight you all the weight is distributed, you know, in a really awkward way. Yeah, it's yeah. it's design design over uh, practicality there, isn't it? In, in in the rear of that car, but it is. But it is a nice nice to drive, nice to drive. So and it looks, it looks cool. It looks cool. Yeah. It does. Yes. And when, look, when it comes down to it, it might sound like an afterthought, but that's so important in that market. You know, people, oh, yeah. young, first, first new car buyers maybe, or, you know, couples that, that want to get something for the city, it's got to look cool. It's got to have the right um, personality, I suppose. That's right. That's right. And yeah. that's, I guess price is also uh, a big factor in that car that might sort of hold it back. Thirty-seven and a half grand or just a touch over thirty-seven and a half grand for the hybrid. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of money. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So scrap what I said about first new car. That's rubbish. Um, <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to be more than that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Yep. Yep. Um, now, Chesto, we're going to stay in the Toyota tent because you've been investigating uh, a new model. Tell us about that. 
I have. Now, a small caveat, I'm actually not allowed to tell you what it, uh, how it drives yet. You'll have to go to the Cars Guide website from September 3 to figure that out. But we do know what it costs and what you get. And that is, of course, the Toyota Yaris. Tantunga, if you think yours is a lot of money, let me see you raise you. <laughs> so basically, the, the, this new Yaris spells the end of the sub $20,000 Toyota. It simply ceases to exist. And, and for theirs, it's unlikely to ever come back. In fact, they now say that if you, if you do want a Toyota as your first car, they recommend buying a guaranteed second-hand vehicle because new, new cars are just – because of all wow. the safety equipment that's being added, new cars are simply out, out of reach, I guess, for first-time shoppers. So, which leads me neatly to the new Yaris that I have spent a considerable amount of time with over the last couple of weeks. Now, it starts it starts at $22,130 for the entry-level 1.5-litre petrol manual gearbox, 15-inch steel wheels, city car. Now, that is a lot of bickies. In fact, it's almost seven grand more than it used to be. That same car, the Ascent Manual, was $15,390 in the outgoing model. So that is, that is a, big, a big jump, no? So the, then, the, biggest, the biggest difference, of course, is the gold-plated wheels and there are diamonds, there are diamonds <laughs> in set into the gear shifter. Is, is that right? No, well, look, they, they, basically there is a ton, and I mean a ton of safety kits. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But okay. I, I, the, the problem is, in my experience, people are often unwilling to pay for, for safety stuff. The stuff you can't see, they don't care too much about. So when you do jump in that car, you are met with sort of hard plastics and, as I said, steel wheels, and there's nothing about it that feels like it's going to be a $22,000-plus vehicle. Now, unfortunately, the news does get worse from there because it, the, the car continues to climb. So if you wanted that with an automatic gearbox, it is going to cost you, bear with me, uh, $23,630. Wow, because even in that context of a higher starting point, that is, in fact, a price leader. The number of people that are going to buy a manual Yaris, you could count on the fingers of one hand. Exactly, exactly. So 23 plus for the CVT. Then if you want to step up to the SX, which does add a little bit of extra equipment, but maintains that 1.5 litre petrol engine and the CVT gearbox, it's $27,020, which is a sizable jump. Then you're going to have that vehicle with a hybrid powertrain for $29,020. Last here, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it, here it comes. So top spec ZR, non-hybrid. So 1.5 litre petrol engine, CVT automatic, $30,100. If you want that car with a hybrid, it's $32,100. Now, if you're playing along at home, you'll find that some of these prices are about $1,200 or $1,300 cheaper than a Toyota Corolla, which does right. make you, especially the entry level, I think the entry level from memory is $1,300 or $1,400. Which does make you wonder when you walk into a Toyota dealership and you see a Corolla on your right and a Yaris on your left, the price difference is thirteen hundred dollars or fourteen hundred dollars. What? Why? Who's not making that jump to the Corolla? It's a so it's a tough sell. From that list, uh, you can actually get a Corolla hybrid cheaper than the you know than a than a Yaris hybrid because the Corolla oh, is available in a lower entry level exactly. Exactly. So from memory, I believe the cheapest uh, Corolla hybrid is sort of sitting around that $27,000, $28,000 mark, whereas the cheapest Yaris hybrid is twenty nine grand. Yeah. And so, look, the, sh the short answer is it's a lot of money for a city car, no matter how good it is. And I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on Toyota here, but it does fill me with fear for the GR Yaris and just how much, if, if the, if the non-GR is 33000 
fills me with great fear as to what the GA Yaris might end up costing. But anyway, we'll, we'll find that out soon enough. Let's talk about the good stuff for a moment. You do get some pretty good equipment. Actually, no matter how much you spend, you get a seven-inch touchscreen, which gets Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And people who know Toyota know that that's a fairly new addition to the to the lineup, but it does make a massive difference. You get a little 4.2-inch digital screen in the driver's binnacle, and you get a lot of safety. <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of safety stuff. You get eight airbags squeezed into that tiny little car, including two front center airbags. It's the only vehicle in that segment to get them. You get the full pre-collision safety system, so AEB with pedestrian and cyclist detection, active cruise control, intersection turn assistance, lane trace assist with active steering, road sign recognition and a reversing camera, all from the base level car. So you cannot yep. fault it wow. on, on safety equipment. You really can't. But it's still, it is, uh, it's a tall mountain to climb for your first new car, I think, at 23,000, I mean. That's a, well, that's a fair few bickies. It's another one where right now you're scratching your head, but in 12 months' time we're looking back and going, oh, that was a bad decision or that was a killer decision. You know, who, yeah. who, who knows? But on the face of it, it just seems to vacate that territory. Toyota has built so much of its success, not just here but all over the place, on having a staircase that people can, can climb, you know, through their lives. And there's always been a, a really affordable price leader to get people married to the brand. So if they're vacating that and saying, look, buy one of our approved used cars, that on the, just seems like such a strange decision. Yeah, I, look, I totally agree. I, I, have, I do have a conspiracy theory totally unproven at this point, but it's no secret that the smaller the car, generally speaking, the less profit is in it for the manufacturer and the dealer. So for me, positioning this vehicle, which we all know is a shrinking segment, positioning this vehicle closer to its bigger vehicles, making that jump a little bit smaller is okay. probably not a probably not a bad idea in terms of in terms of profit line. But I do yep. suspect that brands like Kia would be rubbing their hands together with glee, yeah. thinking, oh my God, everyone, yeah. we're gonna get every yeah. sub twenty buyer in the country. Yeah, we also a, have to a, consider we also have to consider Yaris Cross coming uh yes. before the end of the year as well. You know, that's gonna be positioned probably just above Yaris and it's gonna make that jump from Yaris to Yaris Cross look that much more appealing because yeah, SUVs right. are so. the hottest right now. So I mean to your point, Chesto, I suppose the Yaris's that do sell, there'll be more profit margin in them in them. Yeah, yeah. So the, the volume so. goes out the window, but the profit is more worthwhile. So yeah. uh, whether they can amortize that over time, because the smaller volume, you, you really do need to make a bigger profit to make it worth your while. Uh, mate, I can give you an example of that, actually. I, I, I spoke to Hyundai's now former uh, CEO of when they launched the uh, Hyundai Venue and, and axed the, yep. um, axe the accent. Um, basically, he, he said, he was very honest about it. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm confronted with this issue where I can sell lots of these cars and make absolutely zero dollars or I can sell fewer of these cars and make a little bit of money on every car that we sell. So I had to make the decision between, do I want to be a, a high volume, low profit brand, or do I want to be a lower volume brand that actually makes profit? He, yeah. He's gone down that path. Hence the reason I suspect it wouldn't surprise me if Toyota were, were, were following a similar trajectory. But they have not in any way confirmed that. <laughs> just, just, just <laughs> Well, it's that it's that kind of it's that kind of shift in direction where you really need to bring your retailers with you, because if you're saying we're going to have lower volume, um, their throughput in the workshop and the spare parts area and and all of that will reduce accordingly. Um, so there has to be something in it for them as well. Um, it can't just be what's right for the wholesaler importer. It has to be right for the retailer as well. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. anyway. 
we will see. And uh, so do check back on September 3rd to see what that car's like because uh, I, I do feel like I've given it a light tickle here. But uh, it, it does have some plus sides too. So check back. Okay. Now, it's only just dawned on me that uh, the car I've been driving keeps us in the Toyota tent right to the end. So we've, ah. each, been, we've each been in a Toyota. Um, certainly um, accidental rather than anything planned. But I've been in a Camry. Uh, which is kind of the last sedan standing, or, or one of them, you know, in terms of a full-size sedan. This one uh, was the Camry Ascent Sport Hybrid. So once again, uh, a hybrid. And Toyota is just starting, well, not starting it. It absolutely owns that hi uh, hybrid space. Um, mm -hmm. They're making it their own. Uh, $33,790, and you're into this Camry, uh, which is interesting from the top end of the Yaris point of view. Uh, 2.5 litre four, and then an AC electric motor, um, 160 kilowatts combined. So it's it's you know it's not um, it's certainly no powerhouse, but it, it's not embarrassed either. You know it, it's got enough to get the job done. A CVT, uh, and it's on the TNGA platform, and that's one of my big pluses with this car is the comfort. It is exceptionally comfortable. Um, it really irons out bumps and thumps around the city uh, just without effort. It's got the car play. That's a big plus now that Toyota's on board with all of that, I found in the time with the car. And Tung, 4.9 litres is what I recorded during a week with that car. Wow. 4.9 litres per 100, which is pretty exceptional. And Amazing. It's, car it's also yeah. loaded with safety. And I'd say at that price, it's really good value. Um, totally. on, the, on the negative side, I found when the petrol engine kicked in, it was quite loud and intrusive. <laughs> And uh, it only had modest performance. It's a reasonably hefty car, so it's not a lot of grunt to move it around. But it's not that kind of car. You just want it to be adequate and, and get you there effectively, and it certainly does that. So at that money, it's nicely put together. It's super comfy. The seats are terrific. Plenty of space. You know, I think it's a really good proposition if that's what you want. The traditional four-door booted sedan, um, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, I agree. I, I drove that car yeah. at an international launch and uh, went in there expecting it to be a snooze fest and, and came yep. away really impressed by it. it, it, it yeah. Dynamically, I think it's a really nice car. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, um, what we will move from, from nice cars is to a person who dreams of building more and more nice cars in this week's Muskwatch. Right, so we'll kick it off. Uh, according to The Verge, Elon Musk is going to have a live demonstration uh, of a working Neuralink device Saturday morning Australian time, Friday night US time, um, where he will demonstrate uh, it's presumably a brain-machine interface, which is what Neuralink is all about. Now, Really, it's about helping people with some kind of disability. Maybe that's a, um, uh, an intellectual uh, impairment or some kind of physical disability to reconnect themselves. And it's an admirable aim. It's just going to be fascinating what is demonstrated um, yeah. overnight. Um, the company wants to connect the brain using flexible electrodes thinner than a human hair that it calls threads. Um, there are current BMI devices that will do that, but they're very big kind of wires and it's all super clunky. So the promise here that is that it becomes kind of plug you in 
and oh, off you yeah. go. I reckon, I reckon <laughs> it's going to be amazing. I'm um, not sure I like so, the sound effect, JC. One step closer <laughs> to the Matrix. <laughs> An implantable device that lets people control phones or computers with their mind. Why do, why do we want to do that? You know, now, I, I, on, on Twitter, the peanut fox, in response to this news, said, can I get a chip in my brain so that I can control my Sony Bravia with thought? Using a handheld remote is so 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was good. Tony Gonzalez yeah. says, this is not okay. And, no, and no. I can totally see his point. I don't know how I'd feel about people just mm, plugging into my mind. That's for sure. Um, no. Mr. Biller, Mr. Biller, who has actually put a registered symbol on his name um, on Twitter. So Mr. Biller says, how are we going to take a bath after the implant and combing? Um, it came to my mind while bathing. Mr. Biller is a very strange person, but he's worried about the water, waterproofing, obviously. And Shad Siddell said, dude, stop it. You're becoming a Black Mirror episode. And I, I, did, <laughs> I dug into Black Mirror, and I think he's pretty right. But also on Twitter, um, Elon posted up a picture of a little screen, obviously on a music desk like a synthesizer, and said, old school, spelling it, you know, so funny and online with uh, O-L-D-E and S-K-O-O-L-E, old school analogue synthesizer from ancient Britain. Now, on this little screen, it said E's are good, all right? So E's are good and category was poly, so it's a polyphonic uh, synthesizer. So various people came back with naughty, naughty, very naughty, because the shaman had a song called Ebenezer Good. So E's are good, Ebenezer Good. Others took it a slightly different way, that uh, ease may mean uh, something else. But <laughs> Danielle Bonvicini said, doesn't look analogue to me. It has an LCD screen in there. So by definition, that's probably not analogue. Um, Corrispect says, leave the synth and music to us, mate. Um, so uh, they may have come from Australia with that kind of phrasing. Um, yep. And Carvel version 2.0 says, special ease for you. And the picture that he that he used was Tesla branded these little pills, Tesla branded pills, and they have CP written on them, which I'm told might mean MDMA or you know uh. another name for ecstasy. Um, but what what I did discover is that it's a Moog Novation Peak synthesizer. So Elon's back on the tunes. He'll probably put out another song very shortly. Okay. And Good. the final final Twitter Twitter kind of um, foray was he says the Big Bang started very very small and there's another hilarious internet word oh, yeah. s-m-o-l he's just so onto it um <laughs> it's a it was a tiny little pig like a little piglet in this enormous room and people on uh, youtube can see that but steve just said are you shrinking things again it wasn't funny when you did it with investor confidence and it's not funny now <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good. Oh, but speaking of investor confidence, Tesla share price is $2,238.75. Now, it was 2001 last week. So it's gone up more than $200 in a single week. And the high during the week was slightly higher again. So it continues to just go upstairs like nobody's business. And on eToro, which is a, an online um, private trading site, uh, Danielle 840227 says, do not short Tesla. You, can fight, you can't fight the trend. 
Most of the investors can't read financial reports, so they'll keep buying. The bubble will burst later. So what that person's saying, and it's hard to disagree with it, is there's so much heat in this stock that there's still a long way for it to go before people kind of realise that it's based on a company whose turnover is far, far smaller than that capitalisation uh, yeah. would have you believe. So it's only a matter of time, I reckon, and others agree. So it'll be interesting to watch from the sidelines. Um, but with Jason, yeah. just before we go, fun fact for you. Do you recall roughly when we started this podcast? Um, well, we're at 140, so um, it's going to be close to three years ago. So we'll say 2017, yes? Mm-hmm. 20, yep. Okay, so when we started talking about Tesla shares in 2017, if we had bought them, they were $343 a pop. They're now at, uh, they're now at, now at 2000 whatever. My God, why didn't we get on a couple then? Yes, well, I mean, Matt, Pritch, uh, Matt um, Campbell was talking about uh, a colleague of his who sold them at $200. Uh, oh. $200. Oh. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> and had a few. So made some okay money, but uh, not quite what they would have made uh, today. Yeah, that hurts. Uh, but with that, we have reached the finish line. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chesto. And thank you, Tung. Thank you, everyone. And thanks thank to our Viceroy of Production Excellence, Snake Bodyguard and Chairman of the Cheese Board, Mr. Pritchard, for his multitasking magnificence. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, Sorry I'm late, I didn't want to come. Beef pants and SpongeBob skate shoes. Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple Podcasts listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, forgot to mention, I was going through the manual for that Camry I've been driving with a fine-tooth comb and found a warning that says, do not raise the audio to full volume for extended periods. Now, that's sound advice. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, our jokes are heading in the opposite direction to Tesla's share price, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Thank you, everyone. Thank you.